This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Climate change is a growing problem for humanity. And we're told that to reduce the risks, we need to cut emissions, live greener lifestyles, and make wiser choices on what we consume. It can all seem a bit daunting. For instance, the United Nations Climate Science Panel has spelled out that we need to start making deep emissions cuts or face a bleak future. The science around climate change can be challenging for ordinary people to take in, let alone take steps along the greener path. That's where the science communicators come in. They can cut through the jargon and spell out why action on climate change and sustainability matters and how it can improve livelihoods too. With us today is Ms. Chiun Wu, a Singaporean illustrator, environmentalist, sustainability consultant and more, whose work has helped many by demystifying the science and challenges of climate change. Welcome to the show, Chiun. Thanks, David, for having me. So let's start off with a look at uh, your Instagram site, uh, The Weird and Wild. It's quite a popular site. And so can you explain more about the site and especially the cartoons, which have been praised as a great example of science communication. Yeah, thanks so much for for you know having me on the show and I am happy to be here to be talking about science communication. So the Weird and Well it's an Instagram page that started maybe in about in late 2018 and I started it really because people were asking me about sustainability at that time and I noticed that there was a bit more interest from non-environmental people in that sense who wanted to find out about the science and also alternative solutions. And they just couldn't find that content online. So when I started The Weird and Wild, uh, I, I thought a lot about, you know, what medium am I going to use? And I really wanted to use visuals and cartoons because I was very inspired by a lot of comic books growing up. And I know that they were a very good way to talk about difficult things or complicated things because these comics or visuals can help you tell the message in so many different ways that words maybe I guess there's some limitation to words so yeah I, I did environmental studies at NUS um, I did my bachelor's and I felt that you know I could translate a lot of what I was learning into these visuals that my friends who did not study environmental studies could then consume and now that I'm a sustainability professional, I just continued it ever since because I really enjoy it. And I feel that maybe this could help plug some gaps in, I guess, understanding climate change and sustainability as it gets very popular now. Now, of course, the main stars of your cartoons are the blobs. And perhaps for listeners who haven't, you know, have not seen the site, maybe explain how you came up with the blobs and how give us an example of of a recent cartoon that you you've done for example i think you you did one recently to explain what the um un's intergovernmental panel on climate change it's its last major report and you managed to cut through all the jargon and complexity into a very simple sort of uh, cartoon narrative there. So over over to the blobs. <laughs> so the blob started uh, as a simple way to almost be like the, the protagonist, right? Or just somebody telling you something or asking the questions that you might have. So it's really just a tool for me to 
to weave in those narratives while feeling like you're not alone in in having these questions or or having someone teach you these things. Um, Yeah, the only reason why it's a blob is because I wanted something that's easy to draw that I didn't have to you know, fiddle with like ears, nose, uh, or things like that, or a human character that, that, you know, might, someone might have to, that can or cannot identify with. So I felt like the blob was the safest, the most neutral, but yet it still does the job. So let's get into a little bit more of the motivation for creating the site and your work in general. So what are the key messages you're trying to get across and what is your target audience? Is it mainly youth which of course is a key audience, uh, or is it really all ages? Hmm. So I think the main motivation for creating the site was really trying to find uh, or trying to be a, a page that people can feel like they're learning alongside someone when it comes to climate change, because I know that it can be very complex and, and very tricky. Uh, you know, for, for journalists like yourself, I'm sure you're very used to having to create a lot of science content um, for all different kinds of audiences. But I think the key messages that I'm trying to get across is it's not just similar, but it's also for an audience that I've identified to be interested in sustainability. Um, so it's not the the new, uh, I guess, the greener people who are like, oh, I don't know what sustainability is about and I want to find out. But these are people who probably found it out through your articles or online or at work and feel like, okay, I don't know what's going on. Is there someone that I can I can look to? So I think because um, I'm, I'm a young person, a lot of people will assume that the youth is my biggest demographic. Uh, that's not entirely wrong, but when I was looking at my statistics on Instagram, it's interesting to find that my largest demographic were the 23 to 40-year-olds. And I think this is just the age group that probably found me through LinkedIn or, or online and are working in sustainability or are interested in sustainability and feel like, okay, these, these, this content is not just for young people, right, but something that everyone can consume. Yes, I, I fully relate to the challenge of, of getting across the, um, you know, or trying to not oversimplify, but make, uh, you know, the science uh, around climate change and, and well, not just about climate change, but also about the environment, um, try to make it more sort of palatable, more sort of relatable to people, make it sort of more about people itself. Um, that's always a challenge. And it, these days, of course, we have so many more mediums, you know, from short videos, interactive graphics. You know, it's it's almost endless, which is which is fabulous, and that that makes uh, makes it both a challenge in terms of of how to use those mediums, but also it's, it's a lot more dynamic in, in how you can then adapt that that process of, of getting you know messages across to people and try to explain things to make it more relatable to them. So, um, and and just on that issue of messaging, of course. What's the trick in getting the messaging right, you know, to cut through the complication, you know, that you found? And what are the risks if you don't? Yeah. I mean, I feel like you'll be the the best person to also answer this question because, I I mean, it's from my end, at least, it looks like for journalists like yourself, making sure that the content that is out there on such a major newspaper means you're probably taking very complicated things that were or briefs that were sent to you and you have to make it something that everybody can read. I guess my the 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 pros of doing it online is that my target audience is also very limited and of course it's an interested crowd. So when it comes to getting the messaging right, um, I do feel that I do have the benefit of knowing that 
okay, this is a crowd that I don't have to convince. They they know what needs to be. They sort of know what needs to be done. They know the the context. Of course, there are new followers time and again, but I have existing content that I can be like, hey, refer to this before you get to this one. Yeah, so I think for me, the the trick to getting the messaging right is on one hand, making sure the content is sound by running by academics and professionals. And then once I have that content, going to people who are my target audiences to say, does this make sense so that I'm not delivering something that I think makes sense to me, but really makes sense to a lot more people. Yeah, I mean, we kind of do the same, uh, certainly with complex scientific concepts that we try to distill down into, into something simpler. We try to run these past scientists to quote checks and fact checks before something goes out. And then, yeah, again, with colleagues, if, you know, if, because a lot of this, a lot of what we do, of course, goes through uh, editing checks. So sub editors kind of act like members of the public. I mean, uh, our sub editors are very good, but they're not, you know, climate change or science, you know, practitioners or, you know, science graduates, most of them. So they'll, they'll squeak if they don't understand something or if something's too complicated or off, off beam. So that's actually quite good. That's, an, that's another way of, you know, preventing something from going out that's just <laughs> sort of misses its mark. So, and our graphics team also, I mean, if, they they also have to understand what we're trying to the point we're trying to get across. So we, uh, the graphics team we have are really good, and there's a lot of really good sort of interaction, and that really helps create content that people can understand. And we do try to take things in in a new direction. So myself, my former colleague Audrey Tan, you know, tried climate cartoons as well, and that that was very, that was very well received. Leading, you know, talking about complexity, sustainable living can be a complex topic for many people. What does it mean? Living sort of a less environmentally intrusive life, making the correct choices about the products you make and use. It's it's um, and people make all sorts of sustainability claims as well about various products. So that can be a little bit confusing, particularly when it comes to the area of greenwashing. Are companies making policies or products whose green credentials don't stack up? That that is happening. You know, there's a danger that the public can get confused or even feel cheated by greenwashing, and that can t- kind of sort of turn people off. So that's kind of a growing risk, and I think you've, you have been tackling that as well, uh, both on LinkedIn and and on your Instagram site. Yeah, I guess greenwashing is something that I worry a lot about because it's a very fine line between when is it just green marketing and when does it enter into that dangerous territory, right? And a big part of of trying to resolve that, at least for me, is knowing that climate literacy is is important for consumers. And I see that very similar to things like cyber, I guess, cybersecurity or just awareness of um, online harms, preparing people with all those skills and the ability to identify harms or in this sense, greenwashing would thus make them more discerning consumers and would also force companies or governments to be clearer and a bit more, um, I guess, substantiate a lot of the claims that they're putting out. Um, I remember telling a friend that no, now that sustainability is gaining ground, um, the work of people like us, it, it gets harder because we're not just educating anymore, but sometimes we're undoing the the harms of certain narratives that have been put out there that might not be true given a cultural context. So for example, I remember a time where people switched from plastic bags to paper bags because they felt that that was more environmentally friendly. 
And they're not wrong if you use certain assumptions of like plastic waste and things like that. But in Singapore's case, um, maybe that might not be the most ideal situation if the bags are not recycled properly or things like biodegradable um, single-use materials may not be the best, um, I guess, misuse of materials in Singapore. So I feel that the public can get confused and over time, they might. my worry is that they lose interest because they feel like this thing is too difficult. Um, when I thought that I got it right, I actually got it wrong and people give up. And that's my my biggest challenge when it comes to having to to deal with the I guess the influx of a lot more content now because of the rise of a more conscious consumer base. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Now, of course, on your Instagram site, you you do carefully promote some products. Obviously, these are products that you vetted yourself. So the Weird and Wild is sort of is becoming a much broader sort of content base and you know, giving clear examples of what people can do or the choices they make. So tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, I guess doing branded content is always tricky. And I try to make sure that at least I do my due diligence behind any kind of branded content and that it's clear that I'm not, you know, shouting about something way more than I should, or at least, you know, I understand the intentions for a lot of brands who who engage me where the main thing is they want to talk about something that they're doing. Um, and I don't think that's always a bad thing because some of these initiatives that they've put out are actually very interesting or or can be very good learning points or awareness points for people. So there are some brands who, of course, have have a certain message to to share about. But I always take the angle of, you know, maybe could we create educational content about some of these terms that you're using so that the content that goes out on the page is evergreen. And by that, it means it can be reused time and again and not just one-off because of an event that, that you might be having or a campaign that you might be running. So I've done educational material on things like circular economy, on net zero, on carbon neutrality. And I feel like those kinds of partnerships just enable me to continue to do what I do, but also in a financially sustainable way to still produce free content for everybody else. So yeah, um, and I think navigating that means also sometimes asking the the customers tough questions of, hey, where are you getting these claims from? Um, is it substantiated? Can I speak to somebody who can explain a little bit more? Or if there are certain controversies that come up um, during the time of our engagement, this would be also a very good time to say, hey, I see you're investing in fossil fuels. Um, can I know more about your fossil fuel policy so that when I agree or not agree to do this, I'm more uh, informed about you know what are the risks and also what are the questions that may come just so that I'm fair to whatever I push out and ensure that I'm not greenwashing, if that makes sense. Sure. And and of course, you know, you have a day job, which is a sustainability consultant. So tell us a bit more about that role and how you work with clients who are trying to cut their greenhouse gas emissions and lighten their environmental footprints. So you're, you're basically being a guide for them. You know, that's, that's a key role. Um, and there's more and more sort of demand for that, of course, uh, going forward. Yeah. So I'm a sustainability consultant at um, Unravel Carbon, and we are an automated platform that helps organizations 
reduce their carbon emissions. And we specialize in scope three emission measurement. So for those out there who are hearing about scope three for the first time, it's essentially the emissions that are associated with an organization's um, supply chain or value chain. And that's often seen as something that's the trickiest to navigate because, you know, supply chains are complex and and how do you measure the emissions from something that's so broad so it's been a it's been really fun or really interesting and insightful working with customers who are all, have, you know at all stages of their environmental maturity where they're finding out about emissions measurement for the first time or have already done this for years and yeah we support them in in automating the emission measurement process so that they're able to really focus their attention on decarbonization or understanding where their emission hotspots are. And in that process, I think I learned a lot about what the what the gaps are in at least education on corporate sustainability and also the fact that, you know, there are still a lot of complications around even something like measuring emissions that can help with some demystifying and that decarbonization is the goal for a lot of people, but sometimes companies don't know where to start. And I see that as educational points, not just professionally, but you know, taking that to to the weird world and, and thinking that if more people maybe understand what scope one, two, and three, whether they're in the industry or not, it could be very helpful because if companies are producing things like sustainability reports, how can you really understand their sustainability efforts if you don't understand what scope one, two, and three means? So yeah, I, I guess that's complimentary because I, I feel that whatever I'm learning or whatever I, I'm reading about is something that I can also use as content fodder to to create something that says, hey, this is something that if you're in this industry to watch out for, um, why not let me demystify some of these things that I'm learning from friends, families, or even uh, my own reading. Yeah, so that's great. So that gives you a clear sort of, you know, uh, roadmap as to what you could do next in terms of content. Now, of course, you've been recently recognized for your work. I think uh, quite recently you were among 15 uh, young explorers nominated by Nat Geo, if that's correct, National Geographic. So that's great. Uh, but just in terms of what feedback do you actually get from people who look at your site? What, what do people sort of tell you? And I guess the final question is where, where next for you, for you and the weird of the wild and your work? Yeah, I guess feedback-wise, um, I've been very lucky to have uh, people, followers, uh, who have been very generous with their feedback, whether it's in content ideas, because let's say they go shopping and they found something and they're like, oh, maybe this is content for the weird and wild. And I've never met these people. They would actually just drop it to me and say, hey, maybe this is something that you could talk about because I saw it on my grocery run, which is fantastic because I can't possibly be able to, to see everything or to catch everything. And I and I think the, the feedback that I've also been getting is that I think sometimes I forget, and I don't know if you feel this way, but when I say things like IPCC, UNFCCC, COP27, um, I forget that people don't know what those terms are. <laughs> And sometimes you just slip out because you use them so regularly that I'm like, oh yeah, you know, that I haven't really explained that, and this is an audience that might have been might be seeing this for the first time. So I think feedback that really catches me to say, okay, you might think that people get this, but we actually don't. Um, can you explain a little bit more about that? Is very helpful because it keeps me very aware of the fact that okay, I need to 
maybe create a whole other page or a whole other post about what net zero means before I keep talking about about net zero. So yeah, and in terms of making a difference, um, I don't know if more people have been you know acting on 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 whatever they're, they're learning, but I just hope that with someone there to to guide people along learning about sustainability. I think I'm very clear on my platform that I don't know everything. If anything, I'm also learning alongside a lot of people here. And hopefully that allows you to make more informed decisions or advocate in your own companies. And I want to be that facilitator rather than be that authority so that more people can can get onto this journey without much pain. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly exactly right in terms of we're all still learning I might, I might be sort of have been in this space you know, reporting on climate change for some time, but I'm no expert in terms of across everything. So it's always every day is a learning curve, really. And we do try to put out explainers for exactly the, the reasons that you said, because you do fall into the trap sometimes of assuming people know what what all these terms are and what these organisations do. And of course, um, most people don't because it's not part of their daily lives. So, you know, we need to take the time out to sort of go back and try to explain it so people can then make those connections and join those dots, which is really, really crucial. So, but in terms of connecting the dots, you've been doing a, a great job. So thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah, and thank you for what you do. Right. Thanks, Jill. Thank you. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.